Today I will be reading from one from First Peter chapter two verse four through ten. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Thank you, Mitchell, for reading God's word to us. I'm Sharon, pastor of Discipleship and Care, with the opportunity to unpack and dig into God's word together this morning. And I invite you as we begin to pray with me. Lord, we thank you that we've been able to pour out our praise to you this morning. We know that without the work of your spirit, no growth happens in our lives. We thank you that your word and your spirit come together to do what you intend. And so we invite you now, Holy Spirit, to direct our thinking and my speaking. May all be done to your glory and honor so that the church of Christ would be equipped in every good thing. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So fall is here, October, and October for our family has always meant going to the Issaquah Salmon Days. How many of you guys have gone or are going to go? It's a fun festival. We went yesterday, we went down to the parade, saw a bunch of our high schoolers marching in their bands, that was fun. We went to the craft booths, and of course the food, co- you know, you have to buy some food at the festival, right? But the real stars, the main attraction of the Issaquah Salmon Days, are the salmon, right? So that was half the fun, going down to the salmon hatchery and watching these fish swim upstream. It's really quite amazing to think about that these fish from up to seven years have been away in salt water and now are making their way back to the place where they were hatched. They, you can watch them battle upstream. You can watch them move along and fight to get back to where they need to go. Here's a picture, not necessarily that I took down there, but it shows you these fish swimming upstream against the flow. I heard from one of the uh, docents that was down there that when these fish, after these fish go through the Ballard Locks, where they go from salt water to fresh water, they have 42 miles to get back up, to swim upstream, to get up to that place where they were first hatched. And for salmon, there's this fighting instinct in them, something wired into their nature that moves them forward. 
In fact, the docent told me this too. There's something about the smell of the water, the trees, other fish. All of that comes together to move them back to this place. They fight going upstream because it's in their nature to do so. Well, we've made the case in this series on 1 Peter that we as Christians are often going against the flow. We're often going upstream. We talked about how we are in a post-Christian world where there was a season where Christendom was the privileged place of our religion, our faith in Christ. And in the public square, it was acknowledged and had a, a place of honor. But that's no longer the case. And so as we go through this uh, book of First Peter, we're finding out that a lot of times what we are called to do as Christ is to go against the flow of culture, to fight, as it were, upstream. And it's not always easy. This post-Christian environment makes it important for us to know who we are and why we're following Christ. It's, is, is our purpose as a community, as followers of Jesus, is it strong enough to keep us going? Is it clear enough to help us fight that upstream battle? Well, that's what Peter, one of the themes that Peter has for us in this book of 1 Peter. Our lives in a non-Christian culture. And it happens to all of us, whether you're in elementary school or in a workplace, whether you're retired, just in your neighborhood. We all have know this sense of what it is to be going against culture. The scripture today, by the way, did you notice it's the same scripture Mark, priest, Pastor Mark preached on last week? So I'm not preaching the same sermon, I'll tell you that, but the same themes. It's such a rich passage of scripture talking about our identity in Christ. And so we're going to look at it in a new way today. Last week, as Pastor Mark preached on this, he talked about our identity in Christ telling us how we behave, that who we are leads into how we live, that that who we are comes first. And today we're going to look at the same text in a different way and find out that who we are, our identity, leads to our purpose, why we're here, the so that part. You know, those adult salmon swimming upstream do it because they were designed to do that. And as a community of God, we have been designed for something as well. And the good thing is, it doesn't just come from within ourselves. We are given this identity that moves us forward in purpose, and we're going to look at that today. So here's three aspects of this passage we're going to look at. First of all, we've been chosen in Christ. This is the good news. This is the gospel where we begin. And then we're chosen for community. And then we are chosen, not just for ourselves in this community, but for a purpose beyond ourselves. So if you have your Bibles, and first graders, you might have your little Bible there, your hands-on Bible. If you have your scripture on a device, I encourage you to open it to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to begin looking at verse 4. It starts this way. As you come to him, such a beautiful and simple term, as you come to him, the living stone, this is a passage that talks about being chosen in Christ. The you there is plural. As you, all of us, all of us come to Christ, the living stone, something happens. 
We're going to talk about that term living stone in just a minute. But just think of that time when you first came to Christ. Peter, you know, he took him a while to understand who the Christ was, didn't it? But he talks about it in chapter 1 at that time. It says, God has given us new birth. It's like being newly born into a family, isn't it? He's given us new birth through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is the first coming to Christ. But now, this, as you come to Christ, it's current. As you come to Christ today, you came to this place to worship because you're coming to Christ. You come to this community because you're coming to Christ. And Peter describes him as the living stone. Now, we don't usually think about stone as being something living, so it makes us perk up our ears a little bit. What is he referring to? So many of those passages from the Old Testament, he's saying all along God had this precious cornerstone, this precious stone that he intended to build life upon and a new community. Now, that stone isn't precious to everyone. For some, it's a rejected stone. And the scriptures say here that sometimes that people stumble over it because they don't want to believe. But for us who believe, we come to a living stone, a rock that is solid. That's an Old Testament picture as well. Remember in the Old Testament, the God story, when Moses was in the wilderness and the people were clamoring for water? And he said, God said, go to the rock, and out of that will come water for you. And in Psalm, David writes about, God, you are my fortress, my rock, my redeemer. So God is this solid, living sustenance for our lives. A rock that is alive. A living stone. Now, some of those people would have thought about this place of living stones in a different way. So let me just move to that now. Because we come to Christ first, and then we come to community. Did you know that you too are a living stone? Listen to how Peter says it here. As you come to him, the living stone, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. I love that Pastor Nancy uses these stones right here to remind us of a monument to what God is doing. This is something of what Peter's referring to here as well. You are a living stone. You're being built into a house. Some translators put it this way, not you are being built, but build yourselves. Build yourselves into a spiritual house. Peter has this picture of stones coming together. Now, it might have come a little bit in this way. He might have been thinking about perhaps the temple, which was still standing when Peter wrote this, uh, Herod's temple in Jerusalem. And that was the place where God's presence had been known in the temple. And you can see even there the stone upon stone upon stone that became this edifice to the presence of God. But Peter's switching it. He's saying it's no longer a physical place. You are living stones. You are part of what God is building to show his presence in the world, just like the temple was. You know, kids, on your hands-on Bible, if you take a look at that passage in 1 Peter, it has this picture, it has this reminder, a fun fact. It's on page 
1229 if you want to look at it. But it says that in the Bible, every time they use the word church, which is over a hundred times, it never refers to a building. It doesn't refer to solid stones, foundations, walls, a roof. It refers to people. Peter's reminding us we're chosen for a community. We are living stones. Now, I thought about giving you each a stone to hold on to so you could remember who you are, but I didn't want anybody throwing stones at me or anyone else. So I'm just going to have you do something else. I want you to make, your, make a fist like it's a stone. This is a living stone, just as your lifeblood comes to this place. But you are not in this alone as one of Christ. We, as living stones, are being built together into a spiritual house. So I want you to just do a fist bump with somebody to remind them that they too are part of the spiritual house. They are a living stone that grows up into a place that gives praise to God. Maybe next time you give somebody a fist bump, it'll remind you who you are. You are a living stone. Precious because God is building in us, in this community, a recognition of his presence. When we come to Christ, we become of that part of that. He's the cornerstone. It's like we get life from him and then we share life with each other and it grows and grows into a place where God's spirit dwells. And then Peter changes the image. He says, okay, you're a spiritual house made of living stones, but you are also the priests in that house. He says it this way, you're like living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We talked about this some last week. We're priests. Not all clergy, but you and I are priests of God. It's as if we are part of the bridge that God uses to show his glory. Priests were the ones who could bring the needs of the people to God. They brought sacrifices in confession of sin. They brought thanksgiving offerings to say praise to God. You as a priest can bring your praise straight to God. You have access to God because of Jesus Christ. But a priest is also a bridge from God to people. And you and I in this community are a holy priesthood. We're able to, because of the work of Christ, we're able to have God's truth come through us to one another into a world that needs to know it. We are priests in this spiritual temple. It's a privilege to be this place in this place. We have to remember who we are as we go out in this world against the flow that we are part of the, the way that God makes himself known in the world. As they look at the church, the community of faith, this is a place where God's truth is shown. You see, in Jesus Christ, in this place it's called both, he's called the cornerstone and sometimes the capstone. He's on the foundation. He finishes it off. In Jesus Christ, we become something we could never be on our own. Where all ages, all across all time, are invited into this place of being his household, making his way known. And the thing about the Christian community is that this kind of goes against the flow of our culture. Because this place of being chosen means we also 
have a purpose beyond ourselves. It doesn't mean oh, we're this great spiritual house, we can be priests in this place, and we can exclude all others. No, exact opposite of that. He reminds us in this passage that we are not here to meet our own needs. You might think of it this way, that we who are God's own people become God's testimony, God's witness to a world that needs to see him. Think of the beautiful passages there in verse 9. A chosen people, that's who we are. A holy, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. This is our identity in Christ. When we know who we are, it gives us joy and freedom to live into it. But these aren't badges of exclusiveness. We don't put them on that said, well, we're the holy ones. We're the priesthood and you're not. We are special to God and you are not. That is not what it's saying at all. Instead, it's a beckoning to our purpose. It invites us to something bigger than ourselves. We lean into our identity to live out our purpose. This is where we go against the flow, because I don't know about you, but you know, we can build our identities a lot of different ways in this world. One of the ways I do it is on a Facebook. You, know, you don't put your whole true self out there on Facebook, right? You put what you want people to... Uh, you know, kind of lift yourself up. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Facebook. I love it because it connects people too. It's a gift. But our culture has this thing of building identity to elevate ourselves, to make ourselves stand out in some way, whether that's on a resume, a college application, anything like that. We become, we have this identity that we want to build so that others might recognize us. But our identity as God's people is totally different than that. It's so they will recognize God. He has a higher purpose, not to draw attention to us, the house, the people that we are, but to point intentionally to who God is. It's as if this spiritual house is a place where the doors are wide open and all are invited in to come and see who this God is, who we know and serve. One of the ways we did this recently making our God known or walking in the neighborhood with arms wide open was last Sunday. About 25 of us went on a prayer walk in a community right across the street in Highcroft neighborhood. We ranged in age from three years old to 80 years old. And we walked and prayed. One team actually drove because they couldn't walk. I loved that. We were in that neighborhood to just be this spiritual house that is going to share God's goodness with others. We prayed for construction workers. We prayed for the families that were moving in there. We prayed for unity. We prayed for an openness to the love of God. We prayed for kids who were coming to a new school. We just prayed. And we noticed something else when we were over there. When you stand on that one, the street right along 228th, those houses look right across, right down on our church. The building is there, every part of it. The cross in front that lifts up above our roof. They're looking right at the church building. It's hard to miss. But it isn't a building, a physical building that's going to draw them. 
It's the people of God. It's the spiritual connection of what God has done in us that spills over to reach others. And who knows, God's probably already put some of his living stones in that neighborhood. That's another thing we were praying for. God has his people everywhere, and we come together to share his good news. You see, this is who we are, and we can't forget it. Our identity because of Jesus Christ. I'd like you to read it with me, these identity markers that were in verses 9 and 10. Let's declare who we are. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, people of God's mercy. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop just in who we are as if we're congratulating ourselves on having arrived. It is so that, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. No one can take that identity away. It's a gift from God. But this gifted position is your vocation too. It's your calling. It's your purpose. We don't list these things in order to lift ourselves up. We, we know who we are in order that God might be known. This has always been God's intent from the very beginning in the big God story. Remember when he called Abraham to himself? He said it this way to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The idea of being blessed to be a blessing is nothing new. This has always been God's intent. And I think we go against the flow when we give ourselves away that way. We get it wrong when we circle the wagons and develop this holy huddle as if we have some exclusive right to the gifts and grace of God. When we give it away, when we live out our purpose that he's called us to, that's when we truly understand our identity. Chosen, yes, so we could lift up his praises. Royal priests, yes, to point to the wonderful work of God who took us out of a dark place and brought us to light. A holy community, a holy nation, yes, so that we can point to the person who makes us holy and we can declare the mercy that came to us first. This is the good news of our identity and this is the purpose God has for us. We know who we are, and so we know what we're to do. We know we're to live it out in the world. Karen Jobes, who wrote a commentary on 1 Peter, says it this way. The Christian community, you and I, gathered together, declares by its existence, by its liturgy and worship, that's what we did today, whether you knew it or not, that was liturgy as we practice our faith together, and by the daily lives of its members, you and I, as we go into this week, we declare the mighty deed of Christ's resurrection, which reveals the praiseworthy character of God. So when you and I go into this week, we have the opportunity to live out our purpose in a way that is both breathtaking and simple. Living stones, that's who you are, remember that. And maybe this living stone that you are needs to be reminded how to live it out that way. I'm going to give you just a few suggestions as we go into this.
as you go into this week as a living stone, maybe you can be the person who, having received mercy, offers mercy. People around us often think that Christians are just stern and crabby folk. (laughs) Let's show them they're wrong. Let's show them that we have received mercy and so we can offer mercy to others. Maybe you can declare the good news of Christ by what you do. Maybe there's a friend at school who who feels lonely or left out. Maybe there's a colleague who's having a hard time. You become the priest that makes the bridge between them and God by listening, by offering a word, by doing a deed of kindness and grace. I want you to also to pray for us as a church. One of the things we're actually doing right after this service is over is our staff members are going together over to Highcroft neighborhood and we're bringing them the people that have actually moved into their homes. We won't leave them in the empty homes, but we're bringing a little mug with some Bohm's chocolate and a little note and just say, welcome to the neighborhood. So you can pray for us that God would just use our simple step to be part of the bridge of showing his grace and goodness to others. And then keep praying for us as a church. This is who we're called to be as a community of faith, not for ourselves, but for the sake of the world. And we need to pay attention to how the Holy Spirit's doing it. Pray that we do this together and that God's truth will be extended through us, his living stones. Take a look around at the living stone sitting next to you, behind you, around you. You are one of those whom God has called to himself. You are one who can be that priesthood that is a bridge between God and humankind. You, there's that fist, I see it, James. (laughs) We are living stones, living into what God intended us to be. And may it be to the praise of his glory. I'm going to invite you to pray as we consider God's word. Lord, we give you great thanks that you called us first out of darkness, our own darkness, our own sin and uncertainty, and made us alive in Christ. We thank you that you brought us to a community. You've chosen us for community, a place where we can grow together in worshiping you, in lifting up your praises. And we thank you for the promise of our purpose, that we can be for others, those who declare the good news of Jesus. Thank you that you know us, that you, through your spirit, do this work when we can't do it ourselves. We give you thanks in advance. We offer ourselves as living stones connected to our precious cornerstone, Jesus Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen.